All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, the government in the United Kingdom is about to collapse with the very, very far left-wing Labor Party poised to be able to take control during the next elections. Meanwhile, in Canada, something very different is going on. Now, you may be asking, why is any of this important to the United States? And we will tell you, it is because what is going on in the UK and Canada is actually a precursor, not only to what we're seeing within midterm elections in the United States, but leading up to what we're going to see with the next presidential election. And one of the most important things we're going to discuss today and give you what you need to be equipped to effectively discuss this with your friends and family is the problems of misdiagnosing a problem. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what political party is in control if they're both implementing the same policies. And we're going to go through and explain how one thing has happened in the UK, something different has happened in Canada, and we want to make sure we get it right before it comes time to select our next president. All that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. We are excited to have you here with us today. I'm also excited because Christian found this wonderful clip that we're going to play here in just a minute that I think is hilarious. He sent it to us last night as we were preparing for the show. But as always, if you haven't already, head down to the description of this podcast. Click on that link to join our volley. Introduce yourself in the Introduce Yourself channel. Let us know who you are, where you're from, and we'd love your thoughts on today's episode and the Making the Argument channel of that chat. We look forward to seeing you there. I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a pretty good guy. With me, as always, my beautiful bride, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Hello, everyone. We also have our historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. Hey. And then, of course, our producer of producers, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. It is a pleasure to be here with you, Nick, and everyone else. Okay, so, all right, this this is exciting. Stick with us through this episode. we got about three parts that we're going to go through. We're going to talk about the UK, we're going to talk about Canada, we're going to talk about why it's all relevant to the United States. And we're going to start off with some this, news happened this, this morning. News report. Oh my, here's I the, haven't here's, seen this yet. Yeah, either. Tina hasn't seen it yet. So this this is our first take on this. But what was interesting was yesterday, Christian and I were talking about you know different ideas for today's episode, and he was bringing up some of the things that were going on in the UK and Canada. I was like, that's pretty interesting because that's a precursor for us. Um, we, so we 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 kind of come up with this general outline of maybe some of the things that we want to talk about. And then last night, the world explodes in the UK. So <laughs> let's go ahead. To, to give you an idea of what we mean by this, we're going to go straight to a news report from the UK. And let's hear what this report. This came out literally last night. Not, literally last a, night. Parody. Not, not a parody. Not a parody. Not a parody. Not a parody. Go ahead. been a night of astonishing scenes at Westminster with reports of jostling, manhandling, bullying and shouting outside the parliamentary lobbies in a supposed vote of confidence in the government. The deputy chief whip was reported to have left the scene saying, I'm absolutely effing furious, I just don't effing care anymore, before he resigned along with the chief whip. But we've just been told they have now officially unresigned. The Home Secretary has, however, definitely gone. In short, it is total, absolute, abject chaos. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. And then it, it went straight to a, an episode of Mad Max. Right? Like a total, I resign. Wait, chaos. no, I unresign. Well, what makes you unresign? I just don't effing care anymore. <laughs> to add more context to what is going on, this is after Liz Trust fired the Chancellor of the Exchequer, which yeah. is basically the most powerful economic or finance-related position in in the UK as kinda well. Kind of like Treasury Secretary. It kinda, it's it's it's, know, a, it's that chair of appropriations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um. So like, 
What's going on? And by the way, this morning, Liz Trust announced that she's resigning as prime minister. You totally jumped way too far ahead. Well, right, you no, know, no, 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 you're, you're cut off. You're cut off. So now <laughs> I'm going to give you the idea of what's going oh, on. Oh, I spoiled to the audience what Nick wanted to we share with us. We have, we have an actual tweet on this. But yeah, to your point, like, so obviously Boris Johnson was on the out because there was, there was some problems with, I think, sexual harassment within his cabinet or something like that. So Boris Johnson had to step aside. There was also was a scandal with. There was also a scandal with. Apparently, they had like a big Christmas party during the lockdowns yeah, in yeah. December last year, and he was caught up in that. And and then there was the general economic crisis that's going yeah. on in the UK, which I think we might end up talking a little bit more about in this episode. Well, yeah, I think gen generally speaking, here, here's what's fascinating is that most most countries in the West are going through some fairly similar issues oh, yeah. right now. So some of it was. Um, you know, COVID, a lot of it was as a result of the government's response to COVID. So you have supply chains. All the central banks were inflating their currencies. All of the, the governments were, were pouring money into the economy with respect to stimulus. And locking spending. everything down. They were all locking everything down. So what, what's fascinating to watch is that you have the UK, Canada, and the United States. All of them were dealing with similar issues. All of them had, to some respect... Um, some similar approaches to it. Mm -hmm. So Boris Johnson, I mean, people were already mad. And then Boris Johnson got caught with these other scandals. So he was on the out. And then Liz Truss comes in. And Liz Truss comes in. It's like, oh, we've got this new conservative leader. And she's going to fix these problems. Nope. <laughs> and everything in, went and wrong instead, at the exact same time. Yeah, and, and instead of fixing the problems, they kind of, like the Central Bank of England decided to double down on inflation at the same time, it was raising interest rates. Oh, are we getting into that at this yes. point? Yes. Okay, so the, it is incredible what happened. This is part of the reason that Liz is is on the outs, by it's the way. gone. Because what happened was is that she came into office and her response was, you know what we haven't tried the last two years? We haven't tried modern monetary theory. <laughs> we haven't tried enough Keynesianism the last yeah. two years. So she came up with this proposal. It was called the mini budget, right? Where And she got slammed by the media for this. And I, I actually think that the media was being dishonest about how they were slamming her because she's a conservative. Despite yeah. the fact that she's pushing, pushing bad policy, she's still one of the bad guys, right, yeah. from, their, from their point of view. And so they were slamming her for tax cuts for the rich, when in reality what people should have been slamming her for was that she wanted to cut taxes in the financial sector which is just yeah. going to be inflating the bubble more rather than cutting taxes on the supply side to deal with the inflation crisis yeah. and actually increase production of goods and services at the exact same time that she wanted to increase government spend. spending. Yeah. What she was trying to do was basically boost aggregate demand, which is like the holy grail of Keynesianism. Keynesianism. And what this was forcing was higher interest rates because more government borrowing to facilitate the debt, which guess what? That's going to lead to higher interest rates. Well, what happened was is that the pension funds in the UK had for, for years been using leverage, which is like uh, unbelievable that they were doing this. They were taking out margin debt in order to buy government bonds because that's the safest investment ever. Well, there's an inverse relationship between interest rates and bonds. So as the Bank of England is having to raise interest rates to fight inflation, and, they, and they're not buying bonds. By the way, they're called gilts over there. And they're not buying gilts in order to, to deal with inflation because if they're doing so, they're going to be increasing inflation. So the biggest buyer of gilts isn't buying anymore. They're raising interest rates. And I just said that that's an inverse relationship with the price of gilts. So guess what happened to the price of gilts? They collapsed as the interest rates and yields went up. And all those people that had bought gilts, all those pension funds that had loaded up on margin debt yeah. to double down on buying explain, gilts. Explain real quick, explain real quick for the audience the difference between, it's not like they just went out there and bought the stuff with assets that they had. No, no, no. Right? They, they borrowed used, money. Yeah, they borrowed money based off of the assets that they had. That they already in had. Order to, buy to buy more treasuries. of, the, uh, of yeah. government debt because, again, that's the safest investment. Everybody always said that. So pension funds took out loans in order to meet their, their requirements because the government wants to pay out lavish pensions to yeah. everybody too, right? They took out debt in order to buy government debt on credit. And then guess what happened when the value of that government debt dip just a little bit. Everybody margin got margin called yeah. overnight. And suddenly all these pension funds were having to call up the Bank of England and say, uh, hey, could you bail us out? We're getting margin called over here. And the Bank of England had to stop quantitative tightening, which is they're, they're shutting down the money printers. Yeah, they're, right? trying to get they're, they're trying to reduce inflation. They're pulling money out of the system to reduce inflation. They had to stop doing that in order to turn the money printers back on 
in order to subsidize the pension funds and bail them out because they were getting margin called and they were about to be liquidated. So guess what happened with the Bank of England? They announced, okay, we're only going to do this for a few days because we need to bail you out. <laughs> we'll give you three days for you to deleverage yourself. And until then, we will be buying treasury yeah. bonds. Again, they're called gilts over there. We'll be buying these gilts in order to prop the market up. So guess what that uh, created? A, a tidal run. wave of selling because yeah. everybody realized, oh my gosh, I've got three days and yep. there's a guaranteed buyer. They will be buying at any price. Yep. I need to offload everything right now. Yep. So everybody in the country started dumping their government debt, which by the way, set interest rates even higher. And at one point, I think it was like the, it was either the 10 or 30 year um, guilt in the UK was yielding more than Greek debt. Which it's wow. like, long story short, it created a giant economic crisis and yeah. Liz's government got rightfully blamed for it. But I think the media was blaming her for the wrong reasons. Oh, yeah. They were blaming her because she wasn't being more of well, a Marxist. And, and we're, and we're going to get we're going to get into this, yeah. too, because there, there's there's one area. We'll get this when we get back to the US. But there is one area where Biden and the Democrats could slam Trump. And have a legitimate argument, and they refuse to really? do it. So yeah. we're going to explain that's why. We're going to explain why we get to that part. But yeah, to sum all that up, real simple. You have somebody that's managing all these pension funds, right? So they had the pension funds have value. Now they didn't sell off the value in order to buy these treasuries. They went to a lender and said, "Hey, we've got all these assets. You should loan us money because we're a good investment for you." So they borrowed a bunch of money to go buy treasuries. The treasuries tanked. And then all of a sudden, these people are saying, okay, well, you owe us our money now. Well, they didn't want to sell off their valuable assets. At a loss to, at that at point. At a loss in order to buy it off. So they had to go and beg the treasury to essentially print money to buy stuff that everybody realized they shouldn't be buying. At a time when inflation's so, like 10%. So understand that what they were doing at that part is they were creating an environment where in order to save, they, in order to cover for their horrible mismanagement of the pension funds, Right, they got the government to print money at this to buy treasuries, at the same time that they were raising interest rates. If you want to talk about how to screw over the average guy, right, the average guy, this is the way to do it because you were playing with their pension funds at the same time that you you took a really bad bet, and then the only way that you could try to save their pension funds was by causing the price of everything else that they buy to go up significantly. Well, at the same time, you're bankrupting the government. It, it's the it's literally the worst of both worlds yeah. because nobody likes higher interest rates. The only reason that yeah. we are that, that people want higher interest rates right now is to deal with inflation. Yeah. But higher interest rates aren't great for people who wants to have a seven percent mortgage. When, and not only that, in the UK, it's something like forty percent of mortgages are arm mortgages. Yeah, which means that they might have a two thousand eight style housing crisis in the future now too. So keep an eye on what's going on in the UK because I don't think that they're out of the woods yet, even with Liz going. No, no, they're but not. The, the point is. is that everything went wrong yeah. at the exact same time. And and so so here yeah. so okay, so everything went wrong. You just saw the media report. Let's go to the next uh thing that we got up here from Twitter, the report on here. <laughs> two chancellors, two home secretaries, and one prime minister gone. Liz Trust, 44 days, the, the shortest term for any prime minister in you know in history. UK history, right? So again, in, in one night, like, so you saw that report, it's like, okay, there's this report of all of this stuff, you know, happening, the pushing around, people saying they don't effing care, they're done. And then the next morning, it's, holy crap, the whole government's gone, right? So uh, imagine waking up tomorrow and finding out that the president, the, uh, let me see, the, the president, the secretary of defense, the secretary of homeland security, uh, the secretary of the treasury, and I don't know, the secretary of transportation, we're we, all just gone. Uh, we'd be <laughs> celebrating. They were gone, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Over here might not be a big problem. All right, now go to the next uh, next clip. So who's going to replace him? Who's, who's going to come? Oh, back to Boris Johnson. <laughs> He's like <laughs> the ultimate political comeback. This is like I, I don't. This is like Keystone Cops meets Monty Python. I feel like we're looking into a crystal ball right so now. So I, uh, I read it. Question: How does Boris Johnson re? Uh, come back into leadership without an election. Oh, they're going to have a leadership they're election. They're going to have a leadership election. Well, okay. remember, remember the, the, the prime minister is a little bit different in a parliamentary system, right? So in, in this case, the it's the uh, uh, the conservatives and that coalition electing who the prime minister is, is going to be, um, you know, until they, they have a, a, a broader general election again to determine what the composition is of their parliament. 
It's the so, ruling part. The party that has the majority gets yeah. to pick the prime minister until there's an election. Yeah. And then, you know, they see who wins the most seats. And then the new ruling party, yeah. maybe it's still the old one, right? But the new ruling party yeah. then again gets to pick the new prime minister. I read a tweet last night that was hilarious that said, um, House of the Dragon has more political stability than the United <laughs> Kingdom, <laughs> which for those of you who don't know is a, is a fantasy show about a civil war. Yeah, it's so, like it's like it was it's like um, Game it's of the Thrones. precursor to Game of Thrones. Yeah. This is like a perfect opportunity for King Charles to come in and be like, I have an idea. Dissolve Parliament. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's going to come in and pull a Charles II. So yeah, the last Charles that did that, it didn't work out too well for Actually, the last yeah. Charles. The last, the last Charles that meddled with Parliament ended up uh, losing his head. And then yeah. the Charles after that went into exile. So yeah. not a great a, a, a great tradition to build off of. But, Nick, the, the reason that we're bringing all of this up, that we're yeah. talking about what's going on across the pond, because we usually don't talk about foreign, you know, foreign affairs on this podcast that often, or we don't talk about internal politics of foreign yeah. countries that often. But the reason that we're bringing this up is because what's happening in the UK within the conservative party could be yes. something that happens within the conservative movement here in the United States. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell people right now, I, I see, I see one of two scenarios going forward for the United States. And the first scenario is what's going on in England right now. The conservative party adopted certain principles. Now, labor over there will claim all day long that, oh, these are a bunch of, you know, laissez-faire, free market capitalists that, you know, don't want the government to do anything. That's not even close to being true. If you look at the conserv the current state of the conservative party in UK is, is so far away from Margaret Thatcher as to barely be recognizable. They, they might give lip service to tax cuts and free markets, but when it comes down to it, they, they, have, they have bought into the, a lot of the central themes and narratives on the economic side. They, brought in, they bought into MMT and inflationary monetary policy. They bought into the government running healthcare and education and just about everything else. And housing. They, and they've bought into these restrictions on freedom of speech within the UK. They've bought into the government manipulating the housing market. They've bought into all of it. What they've essentially said is, we'll manage it better than those freewheeling Labor Party people over there. And, and to Their some degree- Their platform is, we can do central planning better than yes. labor. And to some degree, labor got so ridiculous to where the 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 previous leader of the Labor Party, they finally got rid of him because he was he was he was so far to the left. I mean, we're talking about supporting the Palestinian Authority and you know somewhat like borderline. Like Corbyn was, I would say, anti-Semitic. He was he was um, pro Putin. Yeah, he was pro Vladimir <laughs> Putin. He was he believed in central planning. He was a he, I mean, he was he was a as, Marxist. He, he was, was not a socialist. Close, he was, he about was a as Marxist. Close as you can get to a Marxist within that environment without coming right out and saying he was a Marxist and the labor party. And I mean, and again, he was so toxic that conservatives kept winning. Um, even though a lot of the conservatives were not pushing forward what we would call like Thatcher esque policies. So what you ended up having was a, a conservative party that had adopted a lot of labor party principles and was basically making the argument that they were better and more responsible at managing that than labor was. Now, you can make an argument all day long that, well, labor would have made it even worse. Okay, when both of you are setting the house on fire, if your argument for electing me is, well, I won't put as much gasoline on it. Like, that is not a that is not a compelling argument, especially when everything is tanking. So, what does this mean for polling? Christian, do you got the uh, yeah, um, you got I the actually, numbers, I, I actually um, sent uh, them over to Hamilton if you want to pull them up. The, the polling in the UK right now is... I mean, it, it really is exactly what you would expect, yeah. to be completely honest. I mean, oh we just pulled it up on screen. So, by the way, a couple of years ago, like three years ago, there was a historic election in December 2019 where yeah. the conservatives won an overwhelming majority, like the largest majority, ironically enough, since Thatcher. Yeah. And what have they done with it? They doubled down on central planning. They yep. doubled down on MMT and they doubled down on Keynesianism. They're the ones in charge of running the country. They've been running the country yeah. since 2010. They can choose what to tell the Bank of England to do, the central bank yep. over there. And they allowed the Bank of England to print money into the stratosphere yep. and create a giant asset bubble and an inflationary crisis. And the polling shows it. At one point, the conservatives, right after the election, right before COVID hit, the conservatives were actually polling over 50%. They could have created a generation of yeah. change, and they could have pushed for actual real conservative policies that we are going to get to later in this podcast. And instead, they doubled down on central planning and yep. Keynesianism and MMT, 
and the results speak for themselves. After the banking crisis and the financial crisis and the housing crisis and the treasury crisis and the inflation crisis in the UK, to say nothing of the political crisis that's going on, conservatives have fallen off a cliff. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. The Labour Party's lead in the polls is starting to look like the UK's yield curve right now. <laughs> I, I like, mean, <laughs> conservative. For those of you who can't see this graph, in in March of 2020, conservatives were polling at about 52 percent compared to Labour polling at 30, 29 percent. Right, that is how big the gap was. The gap started to close. Um, you know, er earlier or later in the year in 2020, but then you saw it exploded again halfway yeah. through 2021. Then it exploded again through halfway through 2021. Conservatives took over, and then here's what happened: December 2021, they they That's met the again. Scandal with Boris. That's the scandal with Boris, and you saw the party at about like both of them were pulling at about 38 percent approval rating. Labor is now about 53% and conservatives are pulling at about 33. No, no, they're under 33. They're under 25 right now because that's 30. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, 20. Right. They're Sorry. under 25. 25. They're, so they're pulling at like 23% and labor is pulling at 50, 53%. So to give you an idea, the position's reverse. That is a recipe for, it's even worse than it was before. That is a recipe for an absolute electoral bloodbath for the conservatives. Now, what's interesting is labor is is not going to labor is not going to go in there and be like, you know what? We need to get inflation out of the economy. We need to reject MMMT. We need to reduce what? government All spending. All this government spending was a huge <laughs> problem. And you know what? We have way too many regulations. But that's not what they're going to do. They're going <laughs> to be gonna like, like nationalize industries. Enough. And the real problem is private sector greed. And that's why we need to renationalize industries. And that's why we. I mean, so again. The, the people that were put, the people that campaigned on one thing got put in charge and then did something different. And now it's not just the party that's being blamed for it, which is totally appropriate. It's the policies they said they believed in, not the policies they implemented because they're not associated with those labor style policies. They're associated with free markets. They're associated with property rights. They're associated with all of these things. Well, they didn't govern that way. So it's not only them that will suffer, which is totally appropriate. It's the policies they're associated with, not the ones they implemented. Everybody's going to blame free market capitalism, yeah. laissez-faire economics, and 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 not having the central bank dictate the entire economy yeah. as being the culprit of why the UK is slipping into a massive recession right now, when in reality, it's literally the exact opposite. That's the tragedy yeah. of the conservative party in the UK. And, and the warning that we have, the reason that we're bringing this up for the audience today, again, because we don't usually talk about what's going on in, in politics in other countries, is because if Republicans campaign on one thing, because it's looking like it's going to be a red wave this year here in the U.S., right? Yeah. It's looking like Republicans will end up flipping at least the House, well. probably yeah. the Senate as well. Yeah. And if, if Republicans get into Congress and then if they defeat Joe Biden in 2024, like it's looking like they will as well. If they campaign on we're the party of free markets and we're the party of property rights and we're the party that's against MMT and Keynesianism, but then they impose those policies yeah, and then the results of those policies are going to be exactly what we know yep. that they're going to be. Yeah. It's not going to be those policies that gets the blame. It's going to be the party that's implementing yeah. them. But the, the fact is, is that it's the party that claims to be pro-free markets that's actually doing central planning. Yeah. And the, the the tragedy is that it's not going to be central planning that's going to get the blame. It's going to be the free markets that yeah. get the blame. Well, let's do it. Let's do this. Let's do, now. So this is kind of the doom and gloom version of this. Yeah. Now let's cross the pond. And in, before we get to our own country, we're going to go over to Canada. A tale of a whole the, different the conservative colony, party. The colony to the north. So the, the to kind of lay the, the groundwork here. I always screw up his name. Uh, Pierre Polivier. Yes, I believe that P that's how Pierre it's pronounced. Pierre Polivier is the head of the Conservative Party in Canada. And then Justin Trudeau, who is, we, the, prime you know, minister. is the prime minister and the head of, of the, Liberal the Liberal Party, party yep. in Canada. So in, now the difference is, is that in Canada, the Liberal Party has been in charge for like quite some time now. Yeah. So the obviously, and this is, again, this is a perfectly reasonable conclusion that voters will come to. It's like, okay, you've been in charge. You've been in charge for a while. You don't get to say it's everybody else's fault. You've, you've been doing this and things are going poorly. Right? And, and the Liberal Party is basically Canada's equivalent of labor. It's like yes. labor light. Yeah. Or, or like the Democrat Party in the United States, right? They, they, they're left, left wing parties. 
So that's what labor's been doing. Justin Trudeau has obviously been a hardcore central planner, inflationary guy, um, cracking down on Canadian businesses. We, we saw the whole thing with the whole truckers protest up there and how he cracked down on that using like anti-terrorism law. Very woke guy too. Oh yeah, yeah. Super, super so woke. So woke that he wore blackface. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like, like a typical woker, <laughs> you go back far enough and he's, he's worn blackface. Um, but- so there's this big battle going on right now between the conservatives and um, the liberal parties in Canada. But here is here is the representative of the conservative party in Canada, uh, Pierre Polaver. Here's him explaining what is going on. And, and again, his, his takedown of Justin Trudeau's policies. And this is in Parliament up in uh, Canada. So let's go ahead and take a look at that. The honor member for Carleton. Well, those are some great questions. First of all, modern MMT, they call it. Modern Monetary Theory. MMT can also stand for uh, more money today or magic money tree. It's this new theory <laughs> where governments will, will just simply print cash. The banks will create, the central bank prints the crash, sends it over in a Brinks truck every day to the prime minister's office, and he just, just starts throwing the money around. Well, what we have now is a little bit different. To start with, we don't have a direct uh, 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 sale of that, the debt to the bank. It first gets funneled through the financial sector in Canada so that they can take a piece uh, and take a cut and get even richer before that newly printed cash uh, trickles down to the people on the bottom. But the bottom line is that what we have today is very similar to MMT. It is printing mass sums of cash that inflates the assets of the rich and raises the, the consumer prices of the poor. And that is a massive new inflation tax that will only help big government, big business, and the super rich at the expense of the working class. That's why we're speaking out against it. As for uh, Mr. Carney, you're right, he's part of the World Economic Forum that the finance minister joins, which says that in 2030, only nine years from now, you will own nothing and you will love it. That is the agenda of these people. Maybe that's why over the last year they've done everything in their power to make housing completely unaffordable so that nobody can afford it except them, a small group of landed aristocrats, why, while the common people are out in the field doing the work. We on this side want to democratize property ownership, make it available to everybody. All right. So one of the things, and, and I would I would encourage you to go and, and actually follow this guy and, and listen to more about what he says, watch his, because again, with a parliamentarian process, um, it, it's very different, right? The prime minister actually comes down and essentially anybody can ask questions, but you kind of have like the head of the two parties that will, will go and kind of duke it out on these policy discussions. And, and here's, what, here's what makes Pierre different within the conservative movement. You'll see there, he didn't get up and just do this thing like, oh, well, the liberal party's doing this and you guys are doing that and you guys are in charge and all this is happening under your, your what? No, he actually goes through the process of explaining what modern monetary theory is. And he's and, it, and he's kind of funny and he's kind of flippant with it, but the description he gave- Is accurate. Is accurate. It was the very clean. Yeah, the description mm -hmm. he gave is accurate. And, he, and he, he not only talked about, here's the problem and here's here's the results of that sort of policy. Here is why I greatly admire that because he's not just saying liberal party, bad conservative party. Yep. Good. Look, yep. look at all the bad things that are happening. They're in charge. It must be them. He's saying, no, the problem is, is that you guys adopted modern monetary theory. Here's how modern monetary theory works. And here's the results of it. You shouldn't do that. See right off the bat, I know he's not going to get elected saying liberals bad and then institute modern monetary theory because maybe it'll work better if the conservatives are in charge. No, it won't. He's acknowledged it. He's explained to the constituency why it's bad. And he's essentially promising that he won't engage in that sort of policy. And he's done the same thing when he talks about the housing market up there. He's done the same thing when he talks about freedom of speech up there. So he is properly diagnosing the problem and he's properly identifying the, the, you know, quote unquote solutions that the other side has tried to implement in order to solve that problem and explain why they don't work and actually made it worse. That is so critical. Too many people in politics now love to get into this process of never really explaining the policies, especially on the economic side. And, and you'll see consultants tell you this all the time. It's too difficult. People don't understand it. Well, then explain it in ways that can be understood. And they're, he does yeah. it. Yeah, it's yep. like they're not, people are not idiots. 
But when you, when you start throwing around acronym, oh, yeah, well, this is MMT. What the hell is MMT? Like, there's no reason why the average citizen would know what MMT is. Mm-hmm. But we would say, oh, what MMT is is this, this modern monetary theory. That's what it stands for. And it's essentially this, this theory of looking at monetary policy where it says that, you know what, actually central banks can just continue to print money and inflate the currency because, after all, the government's the one that controls the currency. And the money goes to the rich people first before it gets down and, to all of us. Who does that? The, the no, thing no, no, that- no, 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 no. The money goes to the experts first oh, to yeah. know yeah. how yeah. to but distribute it But the interesting thing properly. about that is that all— Right? That's what actually They happens. get the max value of it mm-hmm. at the expense of the lower-income yep, yep. people. And, and by the time it gets down to us, it's already been deflated or inflated. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what makes it that that's where you start to see the inflation rise. But the person the that people this hurts the most, the most are the people who need the money the most. Right. That's the people on yeah. the fixed incomes who are and, and young retirees. people that don't own a house or don't own real yeah. estate are hard assets that because the, as he pointed out, the economic policies of the liberal government in Canada or basically, like, make feudalism great again. Yeah. Because <laughs> just just a quick comment on what you said, Tina. I can't imagine being someone who is 65, 70 right now, who's been paying into Social Security my entire life, had no choice but mm-hmm. to be forced to pay into it and it come out of my paycheck, and then know that, well, had I invested all that money in the stock market or in mutual funds, I would have made more money at no, this point. You'd be a multi-multi-millionaire, Signific- even with this current crash. Significantly more money. And now I know that over the years that I've been in Investing in Social Security, the, my money has been inflated, and now it's being it's less valuable than it was when I first invested in, invested in, in Social Security. And now, these people who told me that they would take care of me on Social Security are making the fixed income that I am getting every month less valuable every month. And that's, that's why so- that's why this is. I know that we like to say taxation is theft, but man, at least you know they're stealing it from you. Yeah. But in this situation. They are literally going into your savings account and siphoning out money. It's like they're they're siphoning right out of your gas tank after you yeah. got the gas. Well, and then they and then so there there is let, let's do the tale of two um let's do the tale of two people sure. on social security that is experiencing this right now. One person is looking at this going the value of my social security check doesn't it buys a fraction of what it did 10 years ago. I have no idea what it's going to buy in, in five years from now, but I know that I'm, I'm having some really difficult decisions with respect to rent or what do I do? Well, one politician comes in and goes, you're absolutely right. That is horrible. And I cannot believe that these greedy corporations who are making record profits yep. are raising prices on you. If you elect me, I'm going to punish those companies and I'm not going to let them raise your rent and I'm not going to let them raise the prices on your goods and services to fill their greed. And we're going to make it more affordable to you. That sounds really appealing. Yeah. And that's what that so many Democrats have been saying. Really appealing. Yeah. And it sounds plausible because yeah. I look at some of these, these, you know, rich guys and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, like what do they really need another asset? How did Martin? they get all that right? money? How did they get all this? Well, they got all it by cheating you. But right? here's so, another. Uh, so wait a second. All of that. It, that is one way to explain it. The other way to explain it is to say the very politicians that are telling you that are the ones that implemented the policies that made your Social Security check worthless. Don't trust them. But then you have to come back and offer, okay, what is your solution to the problem? Right? And that's the part that gets difficult. That's more, that's more involved. And, and you have to actually understand some of the fundamental components of economic philosophy and economic theory and the way that transactions and exchange work within a free economy, right? That That's more of an in-depth explanation. Whereas, again, you got some of the same people that caused the problem saying, it's all because of these greedy, you're a good person, I'm a good person, but these greedy people got all the yeah. money. So we're going to work together. And I'm going to take the money from the greedy people and I'm going to give it to you. But that's a real simple explanation. And if that really explained how the world worked in most of these places... I guess maybe that would be great, but it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. And one of a beautiful example of this is, um, I don't know, a lot of people have probably seen there was like a viral image going around saying the 550 U.S. billionaires together are worth $2.5 trillion. If we confiscated 100% of their wealth, we'd um, raise enough to run the federal government for less than eight months. Yeah. Keep, keep- so. <clears throat> just to give you an idea that that it's not the billionaires that are the problem. Yeah. It, this goes to show you that the government spending and the government um, just this this massive, you know, uh, apparatus takes so much to run that 
not even if we confiscated 100% of all the billionaires' money, could it even run for more than eight months? Yeah, and keep in mind, that's not raising their taxes to 100%. That's confiscating everything, everything that they own. Like All it's done. assets. It's done. So Pierre gets up there, and he not only says, he doesn't just, he doesn't say liberal party bad, Justin Trudeau bad. He doesn't right. say that. He said, these are the policies that labor and Justin Trudeau advocate for and implement, and this is what it's caused. Notice how big a difference that is when you're talking about, again, the, two, this, the tale of two people, the Social Security check. If you go to that yeah. same person with Social Security check and you say, listen, I know this is, I completely acknowledge that this is hard and this was wrong and this shouldn't be done to you, but here's why it happened. Because if we don't understand the why, yeah. we'll never be able to get to an accurate, we'll never be able to get to an effective solution. And this will just be a series of new politicians making different emotional appeals. And the only one that's going to be able to come out on top of it are the politicians. Right. Pierre and the goes, banks, right? Goes through the, goes through the, well, it, it depends, right? Pierre goes through the process because I don't even want to say that. It's not as easy as that guy, this industry, that per No, it's the policies. What is actually being informed here? Pierre does that. He explains it in a way that's easy to understand. And he he doesn't sound wonky. I mean, he, yeah. he, he's got a bit of this like academic background to him and, and look, yeah. but he, he explained as, as Nick was saying, like he sounds like a populist yeah. in many ways, but I, I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as a compliment because he's taking real, like it's incredible that a guy who actually understands the Austrian business cycle is the head of a conservative party in, a, in 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 Canada, our neighbor, and he's explaining the Austrian business. He's literally is explaining the Austrian business cycle from a populist perspective, yeah. using real world examples. One of my favorite clips, and we didn't show it, but one of my favorite clips is actually where he gets up um, and he's talking about the housing bubble in Canada, and he says that like there's 30 year olds in Canada that are stuck in their parents' basements because this government inflated the largest housing bubble on earth. At a time when everything was being locked down and the price of things should have been falling, this government was pumping money into the markets and set housing prices soaring through the roof. And now it's like the average house in Canada costs $800,000. Who on earth in their 20s or early 30s could afford a home? They're all going to be stuck living with their parents until they're 40 or 50. And he uses these real world examples. And, and he did another one, too, with the um, income tax. And he said, you know, it's it's incredible that a, a single mother that's making $55,000 a year, the minute that she makes fifty six dollars or $55,001, 60% of that $1 wow. that she makes more is being taken by this government through income taxes. You see, you see what he does there? He doesn't just say... Liberal Party, you yep. you made the you made all the houses more expensive because no one really looks at that and be like, okay, well, people will make an association. They need to know why you're like, you're in charge and this went up. Mm -hmm. But the the trick that politicians have played, and I blame both parties in the United States yep. for this. The trick that p politicians have been played is they blame the other party, but they don't blame the policy because the moment you blame the policy, you've actually given the voters some piece of information to look to. So if you get in power now and you start implementing that policy, they have the knowledge necessary to look back and say, wait a second, you said this was bad when they did it. Why is it okay when you do it? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, why it's, it's different. We're conservatives. No, it's not. That's why they like being vague. It's, yes. it's to cover your butt. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it becomes very, very easy to just engage in finger pointing. Now, listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with what he does when he gets up and he says, Justin Trudeau, your party did this, but he doesn't just say your party caused housing prices to go up. It's your party implemented this policy. Here is how this policy caused this effect and you're responsible for it. That is perfectly legit. It's the way the political argumentation should go. And we have the polling for it's what's working. going on. It's so working. I said Hamilton, the polling I was going to ask if we had the polling. I'm it like, is do we one. have the fancy poll Give that we had for the this is. This is the tale of two conservative parties yeah. because we we talked about how in the UK it's just crisis after crisis and the conservatives are just like like in the toilet right now. Well, in Canada, Pierre's party, the conservative party, is currently out polling the liberals. Yeah. The liberal government is currently losing to the conservatives in the opinion polling. For those that are listening on audio, the conservatives are polling at about 35%, it's a multi-party system. So that's actually a good showing. That's yeah. higher than they were than they had in the last election in 2021, where they got like 33 or 32%. And the liberals are polling lower than they had 
um, in the last election. And the last election was relatively close. If the election were held today or if these current trends continue, there's actually a really good chance that Pierre could end up becoming the next prime minister of Canada. Wow. And if Canada elects somebody like Pierre as their prime minister that and elects that conservative party, not the UK conservative party into government, there's a chance that if Pierre gets the majority that he needs that he could turn Canada into one of the freest places on earth because this guy actually understands the problem with central banks. He understands the problem with central planning. He understands the problem with Keynesianism and MMT. And he even called out people like the World Economic Forum. Like this guy gets it. We need more politicians that aren't demagogues like him, but can use that, that, that populist narrative in order to make a strong a philosophical, in principled political argument of why we should not be giving more power to politicians because when we do so, it enriches politicians and enriches those that have bought favors with politicians at the expense of everybody else. And he gets that. Yeah. I have a question, Christian. Um, how much of this, because we know that in politics and, and you know in government, the wind is always at the back of the people who are not in charge because they don't, they're not on the hook for the bad policies even though when they get in charge, sometimes they do implement the same bad policies. But so how much of this, because obviously um, the liberal party is in charge in Canada and things are, you know, have been going badly and the conservative party is in charge in the UK. So how much of this, you know, who's doing better has a lot more to do with who's actually in charge right now. So uh, you're right. And Nick brought this up earlier that like, Obviously, the public is going to be blaming the party in power when things are going wrong. The point of this podcast was to say that as the conservative party or the conservative movement, our conservative party in the U.S. is obviously the Republicans, right? Or at least supposedly. And it's it's about it's not just enough to blame the party in power because, again— The conservatives in the UK are in trouble and think the whole point is that things are going wrong in the first place because of the policies the conservative party in the UK is implementing. And those policies are not free market. They're not pro property rights. They're not pro limited government. They're not pro fiscal responsibility. They're the exact opposite of all of those things. That's the reason that the UK has problems. If the conservative party in the UK had actually been implementing the sort of policies that Pierre is advocating for in Canada, or that people at this table believe in, the UK would not be in the position that it's currently in. They wouldn't be on the verge of like government defaults or pension funds getting margin called or the economy. The Conservative Party in the UK is not very conservative in comparison to our version of conservative. Now, here's what's interesting to look at this. And this is why, again, this is why we're going through this process of looking at the UK, looking at Canada, and looking at the United States. One of the reasons why conservatives have said, if you allow... If you allow for the government to assume more and more power and more control over the economy, what ends up happening is you end up shifting the Overton window. And the reason why is because, and what, the, what shifting the Overton window means, it's like the, the kind of the area of allowable thought, what's considered mainstream thought. So for instance, <clears throat> 10 years ago, it was not crazy to believe that, you know, hey, if, if your child likes to, if your boy likes to play with dolls, well, then they, they have some feminine traits, but they're still a boy. Like that wasn't, yeah. The, now all of a sudden we have major people suggesting that that's bigotry and that's even potentially child abuse if you don't affirm that they're a girl, right? That is shifting the Overton window because we do have a lot of people now that might still think, okay, well, that's crazy, but you do you, uh, you know, whatever. In the conservative party, when labor took over the government right after following World War II in England, they went on a hardcore Truck socialist to, oh, socialist truck. They were nationalizing industries. They set up the National Healthcare really? Service. Oh, yeah, they were going after all of it. They got rid of Churchill and went hardcore left wing. And there was some backlash to that. But what they did was is that they set a trend where because the government now was like owning mining, was owning the, the, the railroads, system, the railroads, <laughs> everything, it took decades and huge political battles for them to actually, you know, separate the government from owning a lot of major industries in the UK. And you saw this rebirth of, of economic uh, prosperity in England under, under Thatcher in the, in the eighties. But she only got half of the but work she done. She only got half of the work done. And, and we see the same thing within the United States. We can look right now and we can say, most people don't realize that like the department of education that, that only came around in 1979 
most people have this impression that the Department of Education has been around for gosh a hundred years. Since the founders, right? Like, you know, how, how could we? How would we be able to fund anything if we didn't have the department? If of you're Ed- against the Department of Education, then you're anti-education. You're anti-education. Okay. The more the more they allow the government to take over control of a particular industry or entity, here's what ends up happening: the more people become dependent upon that particular management of the industry, and because the government doesn't like to compete. Right, it takes over and then consolidates and monopolizes. It becomes very easy for politicians to say, "Oh my gosh, if you don't like the Department of Education, you must be against education, or you don't want poor children to get it." If you're against the federal takeover of of uh, you know, or if, if you're against uh, getting rid of the National Health Service, you don't want poor people to get, be able to get medical care, no matter how bad the National Health Service. Because if your experiences. I don't know any other way other than the government school. I don't know any other way other than the government hospital. I don't know any other way other than the government grocery store. It becomes very easy to convince you that without those things, they wouldn't, without the government control of those things, it wouldn't exist. And that's the only way that it should ever be run. Yeah. And, and so what you end up happening is conservatives then stop being a conservative party in the sense of free markets, individual liberty, property rights, and they start being conservative in the nature of, we do a better job running the central government state wow. than the other party does. Well, and nobody can imagine a United States without the public school system. Very few people can. Well, and even then, it's not a federal public school right. system, right? It's it's largely a state-run public school system with 10% of your funding coming from the federal government. But the federal government is having more and more. I mean, I, I believe there was just a vote to add um, COVID. COVID is one of the mandatory vaccines that your kid has to take to go to public school now. So the, the federal government is encro- is encroaching on what's already a, a, a government issue at the state level, right? Yeah. So so first, state governments monopolized education, and yeah. now the federal government's trying to monopolize it from the states. So so we see this with things in the United States like Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security, right? They, these are these are federal intrusions into things that they were never supposed to run. They've done a horrible job running it. Um, and and but if you if you dare say that hey this was not a good thing for the government to do and here's all the evidence it's like oh my gosh you want poor old people to starve yeah so the reason why I, I kind of went off on this little tangent here is to demonstrate that if you allow the government to assume this this kind of power they will consolidate the power they will monopolize the power and then they will convince people that without them you wouldn't have anything they will convince you that if it wasn't the government running it you would be sick starving and illiterate, yeah. even though that's not true, right? It, it is it is demonstrably untrue, but we have too many conservatives. We have too many Republicans that argue that, well, no, no, just put us in charge. Well, no, no, no. What are you going to do? What, first of all, I want you to diagnose the problem. I want you to explain to me why what they did was wrong, why it led to the consequences that we're currently facing. And I want you to commit that you're not going to do that same thing. And then I want you to show you what's the opposite plan. What's the opposite approach to that, right? We have some people in the United States that do that, right? And and the thing is, is the press works overtime. And, and to be perfectly honest, people within our own party work overtime to marginalize those voices. You might not like Thomas Massey. I think he's great. Yeah, But Thomas Massey had the courage to stand up against everybody in his own party to include President Trump and say, no, you don't get to pass trillions of dollars of additional inflationary spending. Without a vote. Without a vote. And Trump went after him. And said he should be thrown out of the party. And Massey said, screw you. I'm right. You're wrong. And you know what? He was. And he had the courage to do it. And yeah. I watched because I... I I was in the midst of my own election there. I immediately sent 200 bucks to Thomas Massey's campaign. I remember that. And I had I had people I had people saying, "Why did you do that? That's publicly I'm like because I want people to know that he's right." Yeah. He was willing to stand up and do the right thing when everyone wanted to trash him for it. Then my gosh, if we don't have more people like that, we're in a lot of trouble. We're going the UK route if we don't we're have more people like that. We're going the UK like route. And so, yeah, as transitioning we, transitioning as we over to the United into, States. As we move into the the final topic for today, which is what does all this mean for our country, right? We've talked about what's going on in the UK and you already just hinted at it in a Mm -hmm. great way. We talked about what's going on in Canada. And by the way, we also brought up the polling and showed that quite frankly, I think the Pierre message is a heck of a lot more productive and more popular 
than the Liz Trust Boris Johnson message. Before, yeah. before we move on from this, we have another clip that we're not going to show, but I want to leave it in the description. And he talks about the housing bubble and everything. Just want to yeah, that, yeah, that's another uh, good good thing. We'll, we'll we'll leave that in the yep, in yep. the show notes because it, there's more. If you ever get a chance, just go on YouTube and just Google Pierre and just just watch some of his videos because. As Nick said, like, we need more people. Massey is a good example. Yeah. We need more people that understand and can diagnose the problem. And quite frankly, if you're electing people that can't or physically incapable of diagnosing the problem and offering a solution, but they have an R next to their name or they ride the elephant around the room or they wear red, yeah. you're not going to be fixing the problem. No. That is that we will be going down the UK route. Well, so the, the question that I've got for you, Nick, is what does all of this mean for us? Right. We've talked about the UK. We've talked about Canada. We, we, I think we've learned a few things today on this podcast. How did, what, how is this relevant to us here in the country? And, and, and I'm going to tee up this question for you because you, you hinted earlier today that, you know what, there's something that Democrats could attack Donald Trump for yeah. and be brutally effective, mm -hmm. but they are intentionally not doing it yeah. because it would expose a critical flaw within their own party and their own movement. They could probably knock him out politically if they did it, but they will never do so. And you hinted that you would you would answer that question. And we've been I, I, I'm sure there's some people in the audience that have been waiting for this moment. Great tee up, Christian. Donald Trump encouraged the Federal Reserve to engage in inflationary monetary policy during the COVID crisis. He did. He wanted it. He encouraged it. And then we bragged about how good the economy was going as a result of it. Everybody's 401ks was better because of it, right? Yep. The stock market was at an all-time high. Stock market was all-time high. The country was shut down. When the country was shut down. When those things happen, you should be asking yourself, why in the heck is this going on? When, when it comes to that, there is a lot of things Trump did right. There's a lot of things Trump did better than almost any president before him. With with possible exceptions like Calvin Coolidge and oh the, the judges great okay but but if you're going to be intellectually honest yeah. and if the whole point of what we do on this show is to properly diagnose the problem so that we can identify effective solutions then we have to also admit when it's allies of ours that do the wrong thing now what's so fascinating is. Republicans right now just want to, inflation bad, inflation bad. Infl Joe Biden, Nobody thinks bad. inflation good, <laughs> right? Nobody, nobody's getting out there and saying, well, I'm the party of inflation. Nobody's doing that. Yeah. They'll say that they're the party of wanting to lower interest rates. Well, that seems good, right? They're the party of wanting to make sure that people have more money in their pocket. Oh, that seems good. And too. some of them are the party of MMT. How, yeah, the, but the reason why, the reason why Joe Biden and Robert Reich and all these other, Elizabeth Warren, the reason why well, none of them will say Donald Trump encouraged inflationary monetary policy is because they all agreed with it. And some of them don't think we've done it enough. They do not want to lose the power over that mechanism because they believe that it's not that Donald Trump did something wrong. It's just that they would have done it better. And that is what is so scary about that. And, and if Republicans respond with not being willing to call out the problems and the flaws in policy, if they're not willing to explain, here's the policy, this is why it doesn't work, this is why it will never work, here's a good policy, here's why it will work, if you're not willing to do that, then all this is is a finger-pointing exercise and a series of emotional appeals in order to try to get power. That's it. Yeah. And I'm not interested on who can drive the train off the cliff slower. I want somebody that's actually going to advocate the appropriate policies which reinforce the importance of individual liberty, private property rights, genuine free markets. It is perfectly fine to criticize the left when they keep setting up more and more welfare programs that keep people trapped in poverty and dependency. It is also appropriate to point out when certain Republicans say, oh, the real solution here is to give a pile of money to businesses and banks. No, it isn't. The real solution is you work hard for your money, you get to keep it. You will then spend it on the things that are valuable to you. Producers will produce the things that are valuable to you because now they have the proper information with respect to the market forces. We're not going to use the government to pick who wins and who loses based off of what it means for me politically. Guys like Pierre, guys like Thomas Massey, guys like Rand Paul, guys like Mike Lee, they are willing to get up and actually say those things. And they're willing to commit to them. Now, we, we have other good people that are running and I understand some people are in a situation where it's like, okay, does my, does my person fit within that mold? And I don't know, but you've got to do that research because if all they're telling you is Democrat bad, they might not be wrong on that. 
But what makes what they're advocating good? Yeah. It's almost like in politics, politicians will run for office and, you know, build this persona but never put their actual policies up front as if they believe that the people they're speaking to aren't smart enough. No, it's it's oh. all about personalities. It's all about flair, flashy, flashy. The fl- well, like, wait like, a second. Can I tell you something? As, yeah. as someone that has ran for, you know, I, I've run for Congress and I've run for Virginia House of Delegates. I was successful in one, not successful in the other. I will tell you right now, you will have people within the, within the now I had, I had some great consultants, so I'm not trashing yeah. all of them. But you have people that will tell you that, the, okay, the more policy positions you articulate, yeah, the more you can be held to account. And my attitude was like, cool. <laughs> like, yeah. like, that's what I want. And like, well, well, yeah, but somebody could get you on that or that might not sound good. Okay, well, then it's my, then it's my job to explain it. Right. Oh, well, well, people don't care. Why? Because you've taught them not to? Because you, you've taught them, you've, you've taught this Pavlovian dog approach to politics where it's mm-hmm. elephant good, donkey bad. Well, no, that, that can't be it. Because theoretically, if you had a Democrat get up there and, and honestly implement policies that, that you know, reduce taxes on people that were, were working hard and made it easier to start a business and easier to become employed, and if you had them doing that, that would produce good results regardless of what animal was associated yeah. with their political party. And, and that's that used to be the unifying theme within the United States was this idea that regardless of our differences on, on certain components, um, re- regardless of our differences with respect to you know, e- ethnicity or country of origin or whatever else, the thing that unified us was that in this country we respected the idea that each human being had inherent worth. Okay, And obviously we haven't always implemented that. But that was the dream, right? That was the yeah. dream. The hope was you have individual worth and you can use your talents and your abilities to build a life for yourself in the United States that you can't do anywhere else because everywhere else, the government or the aristocracy is going to step on you. And what I see being traded in the United States is this idea that, you know what, it's just too hard to be free. And so we're going to exchange this for whatever politician promises to take care of me. Well, I got news for you. A politician might endeavor to take care of you, but they're always going to take care of themselves first. Yep. So don't give them the power and don't trust those who are telling you, give me more of your, give me more of your freedom. Give me more power. Give me more control. And then I'll take care of you. I, I, I find it far easier to trust the politicians and say, you know what? I am never going to know you well enough to know what is best for you in every aspect of your life. So what my goal is going to be is to maximize your ability to make decisions in a free environment. And all I ask in return is you have to accept responsibilities for, you have to accept responsibility for your actions because to make somebody else responsible for your actions is to diminish their freedom in order to enhance your comfort. And we can't do that. That's a Faustian deal that never works. So we're going to allow you to be free. We're going to ask you to accept the responsibility for your actions, the consequences for your actions. And that doesn't mean we won't help, but we're also going to distinguish the difference between the government coming in and running things versus you being able to run your own life. And if you fall on hard times, that is what family and community and church is for. That's why we have those things. And they're so much better at actually meeting that need than a cold bureaucracy hunkered down in Washington, D.C., more worried about their budget than the actual effects of their policies. And and The the political class absolutely thinks the American people are unintelligent and stupid. Oh, absolutely. But we've all all seen the inside of the political class. And by the way, that's not everybody. Let me just make this point. But it is up to us individually to make sure they're not correct. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and. As Nick said earlier, it's not like everybody that works in politics no. is like this. Everybody at this table, including Tina, has worked in politics yeah. or yeah. run for office. We've all seen how the sausage is made. There are good people. We've mentioned some. Pierre, Thomas Massey. It, it, but to, to your, your last point, Nick, like the other thing, too, is that for too long, government has been orienting itself where – Everybody has to be basically appealing to government, right? Businesses, for example, yep. have to appeal to government, not to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And that's why so much money is sloshing around the system in D.C. because there's so much power there. Once you take the power out, there won't be any money there because there'll be nothing to gain there. You know where you'll gain money? You'll gain money in the marketplace by appealing to what people want, not what politicians want. And 
if there's nothing that you get away from from today's episode, let it be that we need more conservative politicians in America that talk like Pierre and think like Pierre and believe like Pierre and less that act, talk, and think like Liz. Yeah. That is the biggest thing. It, it was This episode was a tale of two conservative parties and what it means for the United States. And we've got a choice. We can either go the route of the conservative party in the UK or we can go the route that is beginning to go um, take place with the conservative party in Canada. And if we get more Pierre's in office and less Liz's and Boris's in office, I think that we can actually address the problem and fix it and win elections too. That's something that we didn't really emphasize a lot, but I, I really disagree with the consultants who think that voters are all stupid and that we just need to appeal to the lowest common denominator and never talk about mm -hmm. policies and never talk about solutions and why things cause and effect, right? No, we need to do more of talking about those things the and reason, not treat voters like they're idiots. The reason consultants always do that, though, is, I mean, I've watched so many political speeches. I, I feel like I've heard them all, okay? I feel like so many politicians just stick to the talking points, the buzzwords, and throwing down red meat. And and here's the problem, Christian, is the reason the consultants tell you not to do that is because the red meat works. Like yep. when I've watched Nick debate other candidates on the stage, and I hear platitudes, and I hear just... I put pretty, two truck flags much, on my truck. It's, it's a pretty much a really, pr yeah. We're keeping that in. Uh, it's a really. I'm sorry. No, Tina. that's okay. I, I just want to get this out. Um, you have people that get up there and say nothing really well. Yeah. And, yes. and you know, there's no, a hold on, hold on. I'm not done because okay. that's not the part that makes me angry. When I'm standing in a room and I'm looking around at the crowd and they're going wild for that, that's the reason the consultants want yeah. that, and they don't want you to get wonky with policy because you put the people to sleep, and that's not what the people want to hear. The people want to hear the red meat. They want to hear how the other party's bad and how we're going to win, Yeah, and that's it. Well, and so that's the problem. That is one of the biggest problems with Nick and with some of his um, campaigns is because he will get into the weeds about the policies and help people understand better. And some people are very receptive to that, but the majority are not. And that is just the facts. I'm sorry, but when I'm standing in a room and I see people just glazed over and, and not really responding to meaty issues, but then these fake platitudes send them through the roof that's a problem it's frustrating Look, I, I will i, I think there's um, we got to wrap this up so I, I i'm gonna wrap it up this way i don't think voters are stupid i think voters are busy yeah, yeah that's true voters are busy with their life they've got enough to worry about and then all of a sudden they find all of a sudden they show up to the store they show up to their job or they they file out a form to try to start a business and that's where that's when the intersection with government takes place and that's when they start to get angry about something why is it that the government I'm paying taxes to that is supposed to be a servant of the people is making it harder for me to do the things I need to do so there's a, there's an element of frustration there and they have heard very articulate politicians get up there and say things and they feel failed by them and so they do want someone that's speaking no nonsense and just saying, we're going to win. I understand that appeal. The argument that I'm making here, the whole argument that we're making today is this idea that if you misdiagnose the problem, you will offer solutions that make it worse. If you don't understand why something is a problem in the first place, you will support policies that you never should. And too many people within politics want to support a particular policy based off of their stated intentions. Gosh, that sounds so nice. That person seems so genuine. I really think they want to help. And that is all wonderful. But it doesn't tell me anything about whether or not their policy will actually do what they claim. So if you take away nothing else, please hear me when I say this. Don't judge a policy based off of the intentions or platitudes of the person that's talking about it. Look at a policy first and foremost based off of the incentives it creates. Is this policy incentivizing you and everyone else, not just you specifically? Is it creating an environment where if you're working hard and doing a good job providing products and services for other people, if you're doing a good job serving other people, is it rewarding or is it doing something where the harder you work, the more I take away from you? The less you work, the more you get. 
Is it creating a situation where I have options within the marketplace or is it constantly monopolizing things down to a point where I only have one option and it happens to be the one the politician can control? But these are the sort of incentives that we need to be asking ourselves about policy that is put out there because that will tell you far more about how it will actually work in real life than the best speech a politician can give you about it. So understand that. Understand the nature of the problem. Diagnose the problem correctly. And when someone offers you a solution, don't just look at what they tell you it will do. Actually look at the incentive structure that is being created and ask yourself this final question. Is this actually leaving me more free to be able to make decisions I need to for the unique circumstances in my family that that politician might not ever understand? Or are they asking me to put my faith in them? All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode. This is a fun one. Man. Yeah, I, was, I was excited I about it. this. I hope you guys liked it. Please uh, consider going on to the volley chat, letting us know, giving us some feedback on there on uh, what you thought of this episode, how we could make it better. Maybe also leave us some comments. Um, the other thing too, I'm going to ask for now, I don't, I don't typically ask for, but um, if, if you're, if you're, you know, sometimes an hour is, is a long time to, to look yeah. at some of this stuff. We also have a lot of short form content that we do. So uh, go check out the Y minutes. Those are three minute episodes, three minute episodes yep. where we explain a, uh, you know, a complex principle and we try to provide a, a useful example. They're and, and super shareable. Sh super Next shareable, Wednesday, we have an episode coming out on why your grandparents dishwasher was better or is better than the ones you have in your house today. Which which I realize might not sound totally exciting, but if you think about that for a minute, it's like, why would that be? Yeah. And we're going to explain exactly why. So the, the Y Minutes also, if you follow us on, if you're on Instagram, uh, follow us over there. We, we try to put out every day, we usually have something we go out where we'll talk about a, mm -hmm. a particular news clip or, or a principle, and we usually get those out in like 30 to 60 seconds. So they're not totally in depth. But we do uh, try to make sure that we're, we're making people think. Anyways, thank you very much for joining us. And we will see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.